And we're going to be starting in verse 12. So Mark 11, verse 12. I'll read the passage and pray for us and go from there. On the following day, when they had come from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing the distance of fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Verse 15. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple, and he began to drive out those who sold and those who, brought, who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it into a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you of your trespasses. Let's pray. Lord, we just ask that you would bless this time of looking to your word. Lord Jesus, we, we pray again and again and again that, that by your spirit, by, through your word, that you would make us more into the image of you. Help us. God, to, to glorify you in this task, to not be people with an empty, hollow, worthless faith, but a faith that is vibrant and growing and bearing much fruit. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen. It's interesting to note um, all the different fads and styles and popular things that have kind of um, happened through my life. It's interesting, when you're a kid... You remember all of these things that were really popular for a, for a hot second, and then they're just nowhere to be found. And then it's, it's interesting when you grow up and you see it happen for other generations. So I'll give you a few examples of a few things that were really popular and then no one has even heard of them. Uh, the first one is pogs. That's right. Pogs. Man, pogs were like the best thing ever. And my cousin had this like really cool Hulk slammer, and I really wanted it, and it was like the coolest thing ever. But now it's like pogs are like, you guys are thinking like, what is a pog? You know what a pog is? You're from Washington. Um, I was maybe in like preschool, kindergarten, first grade when pogs were like the thing, right? Okay, well I'll I'll show a little YouTube video later for it, but it's like a little like kind of coin. Yeah, and you'd kind of like hit it and you'd try to get the flip. And... They have popular images of the time. Yes. Pogs were the, the coolest thing ever. But now, again, you, look, you, you, you say it and you're like, Pfft. so hey, you ready for this? 20 years from now, 
you're going to be talking to some little kid, and they're like, what is a fidget spinner? A fidget What? What are you talking about? It's a little thing that you spin in your hand, and it kind of, they're like, you're weird. <laughs> just like that moment I just had talking about pogs. Like. <laughs> Another thing, and maybe I wouldn't say it's like the, the big fat of the day, but when I was in sixth grade in middle school, uh, the skateboarding era of having like the skateboard shoes and, and being able to, if you could do a kickflip in front of your friends, you were like the coolest, right? And it's interesting. I really remember this season of life more because maybe this is like the, the onset of my adolescence and trying to fit in and, and find your place and, and you're more aware of, of, of image and, and trying to make friends and stuff like that. But I remember that not only was skateboarding cool, but if you had the, the clothes to go with it, if you had the, uh, the ESs or the Osiris shoes and, and, and like the, the Volcom sweatshirts that Adam's wearing here. He doesn't even know. Like in sixth grade, like that's like a hot commodity, man. Like, and it's interesting, um, but there's, a, there's a, a turn of phrase that really came uh, pretty strong, and uh, we call them posers. People who would wear Volcom sweatshirts, wear skateboarding shoes, and have all of the skateboarding thing, but they couldn't ride a skateboard two feet without falling. And it's like, it's like uh, someone having like all of the golf you know, apparel and then the perfect golf clubs, and I see them all the time on the golf course, and they have, like, they spent $2,000 on their irons, and they have all this nice stuff, and I, I bought, when I, like, a few years ago, I bought my first set of golf clubs at a garage sale for $20, and I was hitting the ball 100 yards farther than them, and it's like, these guys with such great equipment, they couldn't even hit the ball straight if their life depended on it. We call those people... Fakes, right? And not that they're really bad intentioned. They just they want to like fit into the culture. They they want to do what everyone else is doing. And and when I, when I think about that, I don't think that's necessarily fad. Trying to fit in, of, of of maybe pretending to be someone that we're not. What I would argue is that man is incurably religious. What do I mean by that? That whether you have no religion, or the Christian religion, or another religion, man inherently struggles with just trying to do religious things, raising a lot of religious activity, and thinking we're good. Hey, 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 guys, all you got to do is kind of read this book every once in a while, come to this meeting, and we're going to talk at you, Sing, just sing these songs and you're good to go. It's not just the definition of religion, that we just do some things. And I, I think uh, this passage brings this question to life. Of are we people who are just religiously going through the motions? Hey, believe these things, sing those things, do this, you get a pat in the back. And let me tell you something. We are people by nature who are incurably religious. We just think that doing some religious stuff makes us good with God. And Jesus is going to have no room for this. He has not one ounce of compassion for the person who just thinks they can get by 
by their own efforts, by doing a few good things. And so Jesus here, he gives us um, this really unique thing happens, right? It's another part where, uh, where Mark kind of sandwiches a story inside of a story, right? So we have the story of this fig tree. And in, in hindsight, when you, or I guess at first glance of the passage, you think, man, Jesus, this is a little hard to this poor fig tree. You're cursing it. Like, wasn't even in bloom. wasn't time for figs. And you curse it. And then he goes into the temple. And we have this famous story, right, where he kind of gets out of the whip and he's, you know... <laughs> telling people to get out of here and don't do this. And then he comes back out, and what do they see? They see that this fig tree is withered. And in this passage, there's a a word for us. There's a word for us who are tempted to think that just kind of going through the motions of the Christian faith, that we can just get by. That truth be told, I think, if we had magnifying glasses to all of your hearts, we could quickly see how many of us, when it comes to Sunday mornings or Sunday nights or when you're with your parents, can know that sometimes on the outward it may look like we love Jesus, but they're just things that we're doing to kind of fit in. And Jesus calls us to more. He calls us to more. And so um, we have three points today. Jesus here is talking about, and by the way, if you ever want to know something, it's like if I preach 45 times in a, in a, a year, 40 of those times are probably going to be three points. Sorry, kind of boring. <laughs> Every once in a while you get like a two-pointer, and if we're really crazy, we'll get four points. Um, I don't try to do it. It just seems like, it just seems like he has three points here. Anyways. The Trinity, that's right. Jesus loves number three, right? What are the points? All right, I'm, I'm going to give them to you up, uh, up front, and we're going to take a second to kind of jump into them. So one is this. Faith is simple. Faith is expectant. And faith is honest. Faith is honest. Jesus wants to show us what true faith is. Not a faith that just kind of comes, tells mom and dad what they really want to hear, show off a little bit, do what we're called to do, so that we don't get anyone kind of calling us or telling us what we should do differently. Jesus wants to see true faith in our hearts. And so, really quick, let's go ahead and jump into this, this, this weird story of cursing the fig tree. But before, let's go ahead and look back up in verse 8. We're going to kind of re-examine the triumphal entry. So right before Jesus cursed the fig tree, what do we have happen? In verse 8, And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the one, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And remember we, we talked for, about this passage saying they're kind of making up a Jesus for them. They wanted a Jesus who's going to be a political rival to Rome. And so this idea of, of Jesus is going to bring a new kingdom and it's going to make us awesome, that sometimes we also want to make Jesus to fulfill our own little wishes. But we need a Jesus who's bigger than our imaginations, bigger and and deeper than what we can just conjure up in our minds. And so verse 11 is important. He entered Jerusalem. So in his triumphal entry, his kind of coronation in a way, he goes into Jerusalem, and where does he go? He went into the temple. But nothing really happens. Right? You have this big kind of parade. Hey, Jesus, you're awesome. You're so cool. He comes into the city. He kind of pokes around the temple. 
And when he looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany the Twelve. So Jesus, in, in a way, is kind of spying out the temple. He, he's kind of looking around. He, he's seeing what's going on. Some people think that this is probably his second time that he's cleansing out the temple. He probably did it earlier in his ministry. But he comes to the temple, and he sees what's happening. And so what, what happens is on the following day, so this is now Tuesday, excuse me, this is now Monday, on the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. It's kind of unique, right? I, I don't... Sometimes you, you, you read the Gospels, you're like, why did he feel like he needed to put that in there? It's that small little detail. I don't... Other than I just think that he was a man and he got hungry, right? So you're just like, oh, yeah, I'm hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, and so he probably saw a beginning of a, of a blossom, maybe. Um, from a distance, he goes up to it, and he finds that there's nothing on it. How disappointing. You go up to an apple tree, you're like, oh, I think there's some apples on that. And you look you're like, oh, man, it's March. Why would I think there's apples on this tree? And he looks at this tree, and he says these pretty harsh words, poor tree, right? May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. So what Jesus is doing here is he is foreshadowing what he's about to do in the temple. He just kind of went in the temple. He checked it out. He's coming back into Jerusalem. Every single day during Passion Week, he'd go back into Jerusalem. And so as he's approaching the temple, he sees this tree. And for his disciples to learn this lesson, he takes this fig tree and he says, Cursed are you. No fruit will ever come from you again. We'll talk about this in a second when he explains it. And so after that, this is Apple's probably like, dude, okay, wow, that was kind of strong. They go into Jerusalem and he entered the temple, verse 15, and he began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons and he would not allow anyone to carry anyone anything through the temple. Now, what's really interesting about this is that a lot of people uh, speculate that, that in, like, in reality, what these people were doing wasn't really against the law. What they were doing was actually kind of okayed by the law. For the very fact that the Pharisees were such sticklers to the law that they would make sure that they would never do anything to disobey it again, that when Jesus walked in, they, they don't really... They're not doing some blatant disobedience. Now, there is one sense in which when Jesus says, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. So where, if you can imagine, there's this big temple and they're selling animals so that they can sacrifice, right? And so if you couldn't afford a lamb, you can buy pigeons and other little animals to sacrifice. And they're kind of exchanging the money because they had, you know, Rome money and then you couldn't pay Rome money. So you had the, the Jewish money. And, of course, there's like an exchange rate and all this stuff. Technically, again, not wrong. But in this little courtyard, it was the only place where a Gentile was allowed to come in and pray. And what was the whole courtyard, courtyard full of? People trying to make money technically legal, but making it really hard for anyone who is not a Jew to actually worship God. And more than that, what is he? he quotes Isaiah 50, 
And he says, um, <clears throat> sorry, uh, go ahead and look at verse uh, 17. Um, Is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it in a den of robbers. And so Jesus' big grief with what's happening in the temple is not that they're doing something blatantly wrong. It's that they have taken the very act of worship away. It's like robots, zombies, going through the motions of church, but not really even caring about who we're worshiping. How many of us at times, when we, when we come and we sing, we might be singing the words, but our mind is so distracted, or we're just so kind of inward at that moment that it doesn't even seem that we're even like talking to God. How many of us can sometimes get into a rut where maybe we're reading our Bible, maybe we're, we're saying the right things, but we are doing a lot of talking about God, but never really even talking to him. I'll tell you, being in Christian ministry, that is a big temptation to be a what I call a God talker. And me, being a, a pastor of a church, I'm like the, kind of the chief God talker to you guys, and I talk about God up there sometimes too. You know, like think for a second how easy it is to, to go through life of, of kind of just on my own, distant from God, but yet when I'm around the people I'm supposed to talk to God about, I turn it on, get passionate. And Jesus here, it's interesting, the, the, the title says Jesus cleanses the temple. Now, that's not what I think of when Jesus is in the temple doing this stuff. Like when I think of cleaning, I think of my wife's like, hey, Aaron, Anna put toothpaste like literally over the entire kid's bathroom. Like it's just everywhere. Can you go clean it up? And I get in there, like I washcloth and warm water. I'm getting, you know, Paw Patrol toothpaste off of everywhere. And uh, I think, I think that's, cl- that's cleaning, right? Jesus isn't just doing some spring cleaning in the temple. He is deconstructing it. He is going to town. A lot of people think that Jesus is probably buff, you know, these theories they have. Because of this, that, that, that the fact that he was so bold and brave to go up to these money changers and to, like, the religious leaders and to begin to throw over tables... And it's because of his zeal for worship. So you guys are missing the point completely. You don't have a heart of faith behind your worship. You think that just by doing good deeds, that you're fine. Like I said, though, Jesus has no room for this. And this leads us to uh, our three points. And so verse 20 Um, As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered, like, hey, that's the tree, man. Right? Remember it said that Jesus said this so his disciples could hear it? Look, Rabbi, it's the fig tree that you curse and is withered. And Jesus answered them. Here it is. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. What is the point? of Jesus marching into the temple, of demanding that things be done differently, of, of getting a whip out and, and getting people back, of, of calling them out. You have made it some den of robbers. Why? Because in their worship, they didn't have true faith. 
They, they, they simply thought that God would be appeased by religious activity. Let me tell you something. You might think for a second, like, hey, I see what kids at school are like. I, I mean, I, I hear these kids and what they talk about. I'm not as bad as them. And, and of course, you would say to yourself, like, well, you know, no one's perfect. I'm not perfect. But I, I, think, I think God knows that I try a little bit, right? Like God knows that I come to youth group and I try to be committed to youth group. And, I, you know, I'm not the perfect Bible reader. I don't really stick to plans. But, but the Lord knows. I, I, think, I think the Lord may look at me a little better than most. Right? The Lord has a special soft spot for me because, because man, look what, I'm, I'm doing better than most people. But, but do you know what you're just demonstrating? You're demonstrating that you think God is okay with you because you do a little better than most. You know, I feel like a broken record. Because as, as Christians, we are not people who earn God's approval or his love or his grace by our performance. We are people who live by faith alone. Hence why Jesus tells Peter, have faith in God. And Jesus begins to explain to him, he's like, you want to know what having faith in God is? One, you need to understand this. Faith is simple. Faith is simple. And what do I mean by that? I don't mean that, that faith is easy. But it's not complicated. It's not some big process. It's not some hard math problem you have to figure out. Matter of fact, he says faith is kind of just like, truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Faith is simple, because all it is is this. Ask and believe. That's all faith is. Ask and believe that it will happen. Faith isn't some, some thing that we have to conjure up or it's not something that we have to kind of reach for. Faith simply is, is knowing that I need to come to God, ask Him, and to believe that He will give it. You know, every single morning, right, you wake up, and I don't know about like, what your morning routine is like, but, but say you're one of those like, smoothie people. Any of, any of those in here? How about toast? Any toast people like toast in the morning? Avery? One person, really? Do you guys eat breakfast? Okay. Here we go, this refrigerator. Okay. You, uh, you kind of wander down the stairs and uh, you like maybe chuck some water. Any coffee drinkers? Amen, right? <laughs> Got some good coffee this morning from the church. Lose, lose, lose brew. Um, you go to your you go to your refrigerator, right? And you open it, and what do you expect? And and food that is what? That is cold. You don't you don't think and you don't go up to your refrigerator. Man, I really hope this is going to work today. Oh yeah, we're good, guys. We're good. We're good. No, you don't go up to your blender and, and kind of think like, okay, man, I just really, really want you to work. Unless it's like twenty years old, right? You put your stuff in it. You hit blend, right? With a coffee pot, right? Throw some grounds in there, some water. Hit brew, and what happens? Coffee comes, right? It, it's pretty simple, right? I just know 
then it's going to happen. Faith is similar to that. I ask and I believe. I, I, and I, I, am, I am sure of it. I don't think twice about it. Faith in Christ is not some complicated thing. It is not something that we have to sit there and read some hard, complicated formula. And I think sometimes people, they quote this verse of like, well, hey, man, I, I asked for God to throw a mountain to the sea and it didn't happen. Faith must not be real. Well, one, I don't think Jesus is actually saying this. I don't think he's literally saying you can throw a mountain into it. But, but let me tell you something. Faith believes that God will do what he's going to do. And so when we pray for something and it doesn't happen, do you know what faith says? Well, I believe that God still has something in mind. Something better. Something better. So faith is simple. We ask and we believe. We ask God for forgiveness and we believe that he gives it to us freely by his grace. But second, Jesus says, have, have faith because faith should be expectant, right? Look at verse, um, I keep looking down at chapter 12 for some reason. I don't know why. Uh, look down at verse 24. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. See, I, I, we have this prayer wall right here. I, I got to update it, right? I'm sorry. I apologize. I said it was going to be a monthly thing. It's turning into like a quarterly thing. Um, if, you're, if your spiritual gift is writing cool things on a board, come talk to me. We'll, we'll get that going for you. But prayer requests. So look at this one right here. And, uh, I, you know, I think at the day I had Sarah Newell write some things down on my heart. And um, I really try to war against uh, health issues with prayer requests. I don't think it's bad to pray for health issues. Um, I, I try to war against praying for, you know, your your aunt's ex-husband's best friend, something like that, you know. Um, and, and the reason why is, because sometimes when we do prayer requests, I'm not, I'm not trying to be super negative here, is that it just becomes uh, helping my math test. Well, help, help my, my back feels a little weird today. Help, help, me, help me feel better, God. You gotta, you gotta help me to get into the college of my dreams. Again, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily bad to pray for those things, but when I read this verse, therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Prayer requests, I don't think, are designed to necessarily be us trying to get God to do what we want Him to do for us. Prayer really is, is a, an avenue or a way for me to learn how I can get myself and my heart aligned with God. And so, and so faith being expectant, isn't it expectant that if I pray for a Ferrari that it shows up tomorrow in my driveway? But faith that is expectant is that when we pray according to God's will, that it will happen. That God, guess what, is the best father. I took my kids to Great Wolf Lodge. I was gifted it because I could never afford that. But my kids, they're, they're watching these other kids play this little wand game. 
<laughs> Magic quest. I was like, this is the biggest con I've ever seen in my life. How much they charge for this? But my kids kept like, Dad, that looks so cool. And do you know what I want to do? And my, my, my father-like heart, I want to give you good gifts. And so I go and buy this wand. And, and I have four daughters, but one of them's like, too small to care about anything. And the other three, they just, like, I just knew, like, I didn't want to pay for three wands. So I got one wand. I was like, we've got to share, right? That lasts about a minute. But uh, they're fighting over it, but, but they loved it. And my daughter Anna, daughter Anna would go up to things and, like, to a random statue Avada Kedavra. <laughs> like, I don't even know where you learned that. Like, it just, it was just awesome. I, a good father wants to give their kids good things. How much more does your heavenly father want to shower you with good things? And so guess what? As his children, true faith isn't this kind of mystery of like, maybe if I do these things, God will be happy with me. True faith isn't saying I have to go through some religious roads or strategy. Truth faith says, in Christ, I am promised all things. God, I know, will give me what is good. Psalm 85 is a good song about that, by the way. Lastly, Faith is honest. Jesus goes on to say, and whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who also is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. I kind of struggle with why Jesus threw that in there. Um, he talked about this when he taught on the Lord's Prayer, you know, that, that all of us should, if we're going to ask for forgiveness, we should be able to give it. And there's another unique parable of the unforgiving servant, right? And there's a story of some guy owned his master $10 billion. And that's literally like the, like the translation, like billions of dollars. And he comes up to this guy and he's like, hey, you owe me my $10 billion, pay me. And, and the guy's like, I'm so sorry, I can't pay you. I'll never be able to pay this debt. Will you please forgive me? And he forgives him of the, of the debt of $10 billion. But then right after that, do you know what he does? The guy who's been forgiven, he goes to his friend who owes him ten dollars. He says, "Hey, yeah, pay me my ten dollars that you owe me." The guy's like, "Well, hey, I'm really sorry, I don't have this ten dollars." And he sends the guards, and he gets this guy thrown in prison for owing him ten dollars. And what do you think the guy who who forgave this other guy for ten billion dollars does? He comes to him, he says, "You, you, you evil and wicked servant." How are we in the place to be people who ask for God's forgiveness? When we have been forgiven of 10 billion things, we have sinned far more against God than any other person has sinned against us. How are we not in the place to forgive others? And what Jesus is saying here, true faith is honest. Honest in that it shows good deeds. Really quick, I want to turn to another passage. I meant to do this before I started. But John 15, Jesus says this. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruits. 
Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. One of the, I think one of the richest passages in the Gospels. Jesus says, anyone who's connected to me, do you know what happens? If anyone has true faith in me, they bear fruit. They don't just become a person who has an empty, hollow faith. And high schoolers, I've, this is my question for you. When you consider your faith, when you consider your relationship with Christ, is it a faith that is honest and walking in integrity? And most importantly, is it bearing fruit? Are we people who claim all day long that we're Christians, but yet we are slow to obey Jesus? Are we people who are readily able to accept the blessings from God but not be able to live a life that flows out love and good deeds. See, all of these points, what's the point? The point is that we are all incurably religious at times. That we do not, a lot of times, show faith. We show disbelief. That even when it comes to our relationship with God, at times, I want to say that every single day we're always so bad, but at times I think that we can get in a season or a rut in which we just kind of go through the motions. And the reason why I, I like this passage so much is because in a way, you know what Jesus is foreshadowing? This temple is obsolete. Because just a few days later, Jesus would be the one true all-time sacrifice for all of his people, his sacrifice would be for everyone. For everyone who would turn to Christ and be saved. He is looking at the temple and he's like the fig tree. You will never bear fruit again because this temple does not have true faith. And so let us not be high schoolers who play both sides of the aisle. Let us be people who, whose faith is in Jesus and that it's bearing fruit. That it's simple, that I ask and I believe, and I know that God will give it. And with hands of expectancy, we know that in Christ, we are promised the resurrection and eternal life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we pray that our youth group pray that our church, we pray that our own individual lives would not be guilty of going through just the religious fad or the religious activity of the day. But Father, we just pray that you would give us true hearts of faith that are marked by obedience and love and a zeal for your word. Lord, I pray that we would trust in you with all of our heart, that we would love you with all of our mind, heart, soul, and strength. And Lord, I just pray for these high schoolers right now, Lord. That for all of their secret sins, for all of their shortcomings, for all of their insecurities, that they would look to Christ, who would go to the cross to take away their punishments, who would crown them and bless them with his righteousness. Lord, minister to our hearts in this time. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.